at Acts chapter 8. <laughs> Acts chapter 8, we've got the story of the church being basically kicked out of Jerusalem. Up until this point, the majority of the church's activity has taken place in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus said that, you know, go into all the world, Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost parts. Up to this point, the church has sat quite comfortably primarily in Jerusalem. And something happens that all of a sudden shifts the church's focus. And that is that we have uh, Stephen being martyred. We all know the story. Stephen, he's preaching the gospel. He gets stoned and killed. And all of a sudden, a great persecution breaks out, the Bible says, that at that time, in verse 1, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, okay? Except the apostles. It's important to look at that. The church leaders or the paid workers or whatever you want to call them in the church didn't run. They didn't scatter they stayed in Jerusalem. Go along to verse 4. It says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. There's this uh, misconception or this weird mentality that can creep into the life of churches. I heard it best summed up this week. I was listening to a, a, a uh, message from a, a guy in the States and he was saying that he got saved, you know, when he was about 18 or 14 or something like that. He was radical for God. He was out there telling his mates and his family, his friends about Jesus and, and, and so on. Then he felt called to go to Bible college. So he said, I went to Bible college for a couple of years and it was wonderful. I got educated about the Bible and learned some stuff about the Bible. And then from Bible college, he said, I then went on to seminary for about another three, four years and did more deep theological studies and, and so on. And then he got a job as a associate pastor in a church. And he said, one day I was in that church and he said, I noticed that through my years and years of study, I began to see a little bit of that passion, a little bit of that initial fire that I had for Christ when I first met Jesus. And I didn't know anything except for God is real and he's done something in my life. And that's about all I knew. And then, of course, we learn all this stuff and we become more mature as believers. Apparently, that's the term we use, we become more mature. And he said, one day I realized that the, the passion was dissipating. So he said, I went to my senior pastor. And he said, I said to my senior pastor, um, shouldn't you be out there preaching the gospel? Shouldn't we go out? And the pastor said, no, it's not our job to do that. Our job is to shepherd the flock of God. And he said, that actually felt quite good. For a minute there, he said, I thought, oh, I'm on the right path then because it's not my responsibility to be out there preaching and taking the good news to the community. It's my job to just shepherd the flock. So then he was chatting with some of the people in the congregation and he said to them, so are you guys out there? And, he, and they said, well, no, it's not our job to be out there sharing in the community and sharing our faith. It's your job. You're paid to do this. This is your responsibility. And he suddenly realised, well, if the church is sitting there thinking it's the pastor's responsibility to be preaching the gospel to the world and all the pastors are up there thinking it's the church's responsibility, the congregation's responsibility to be preaching the gospel to the world, guess what's happening? Nobody's sharing the gospel all of a sudden. Nobody's doing anything. We see here in this passage here when the church was first booted out of Jerusalem because of this persecution, the Bible says that the church leaders would have stayed in Jerusalem. Now we know that the gospel continued to spread in Jerusalem. We know that they were doing that. But we also know that those who weren't considered the 
church leaders or the whatever, the, the, if you want to break it down into modern day terminology, the congregation members, they went out and what did they do? They preached the gospel everywhere they went as well. It's interesting because how many of you have seen those TV shows where, um, you know, a, a shopkeeper, for example, is, is giving, uh, you know, paying um, money or control money to the mob. You know, the mob are coming in and, and they're taking money off you. <laughs> And, and they, they say, you can't do that to me, I'll go to the police. And so the big mob guy leans over the top of him, instills a bit of fear into him, he says, you won't, you go to the police, you shut up, you be quiet, you be silent. And fear is such a great motivator to shut people up. Fear is such a powerful thing to keep you quiet. And that's what you would think would be happening here. These guys, it's not like today where you go out there and you preach the gospel to somebody or you share your faith with somebody and maybe they say, no, not interested. Oh, my God. Maybe we get a bit embarrassed. Maybe we get a bit self-conscious. Maybe we feel a little bit rejected. These guys were being killed physically having their lives taken away. They were taking women and children and they were killing them. In this climate, this environment of persecution and fear, they still couldn't be kept quiet. They still couldn't shut their mouths. They still had something on the inside that said it doesn't matter. We still know that this message is important and we still need to let people know. And you can run us out of town, but we will just take this message to the next town and we'll make sure them people hear it. And you can run us out of that town, but we'll go to the next town and we will do the same thing. And that's what they did. And that's how the early church was birthed. That's how it took over. That's how it went all across. At one point, it became the actual religion of the Roman Empire. The primary religion of the Roman Empire was Christianity because people just wouldn't shut up about what they believed. They couldn't shut up about their faith. They couldn't shut up about their God. What happened? What happened? I don't know. But something's happened. Something has happened. You know, if you look at church uh, growth statistics around the world, in developing nations and underdeveloped nations, they're the churches that are pushing the statistics up around the world. Yes, God is winning. Yes, God is doing wonderful things. Yes, the church universal is growing. But if it wasn't for the developing nations and underdeveloping nations, the church would be in massive decline. The church would be in massive decline. It's, 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 it's fact. It's not doom and gloom. God is still winning. It's just that he's got a group of people over there that I don't know why, but somehow have managed to keep the flame alive. Somehow have managed to stay focused on the mission. You see, when the early church started, the last thing Jesus said to the disciples was the first thing the early church heard. The very first thing they heard. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. These guys are getting saved, having an encounter with God and something's happening where they're just compelled to have to take that to the rest of the world. Something has happened. Something has happened. Something has come against the Western church, whether it be a mentality, call it a spirit, call it whatever you want, but something has shifted. And we can stick our heads in the sand like an ostrich and pretend that we can't see it. The truth of the matter is it's plain and it's obvious for all of us to see. Any one of us that have spent some time hanging around church in the West would know, for some reason, things are different. 
It's not God that's different. It's the same God. Same God. Is that right? Same God that raised Lazarus from the dead is the same God that's present with us today. It's the same message. Go into all the world and preach the death, burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Because of this event in history, because this actually happens, everything can change. Everything can change. But something has changed that's not necessarily for the better. Somewhere along the line, we've lost that spark, that passion, that zeal. I don't know what it is. I don't want to assume to know what it is. All I know is it's different. The uncomfortable truth is that God has not changed his mission, but unfortunately in many places the church has changed its mission. We've become sidetracked and focused on other things. Good things, great things, but not necessarily the best thing. You see, I can clothe the naked. They can still die without Christ. It's an unfortunate reality, but it's a reality. It doesn't mean I don't clothe them, but it means I clothe them with the intention of getting them to hear the good news of Jesus. I can feed the hungry with eight, ten meals a day. I can, I can turn an anorexic, skinny, starving child into the fattest kid on planet Earth. But if he doesn't hear about the death, burial and the resurrection of Christ and be given an opportunity to respond to that, he could still go to the same place he was heading when he was anorexic and skinny. This message that we have is important. It's crucial. And nobody else is going to take it to the world. Nobody's going to, The Lions Club won't do it. The Rotary Club won't do it. The church is the only organization on planet Earth with the mandate to carry this message, to take this message out there into the world. And something has happened. And you know what? It's not irreversible. It can be changed. We can be a part of the solution. We can be a part of the change. We can be a part of getting that message back out there in mainstream society. You know, I I think a lot of times churches, we depend on people being brought into the church and hopefully they'll come into church on the right day and we'll have a great gospel message and an altar call and they'll get saved in the church. You know, uh, I'll tell you what Billy Graham said. When Billy Graham would do his crusades in the States, somebody asked him once about his crusades and everybody that came. He said an interesting statistic out of all of his rallies, he said 80 to 90% of people that come to a Billy Graham crusade and get saved were brought there by a Christian friend or relative. 80 to 90% of people that were there were brought there by a Christian friend or relative. You know, it's not evil to have non-church friends. Block that from the recording, I don't want to... It's not bad. The the, The world is actually quite a nice place. God created it. There are some not-so-nice people out there, but they've got their stories, they've got their reasons. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only... God's in love with the world. God loves the people of the world, you know? Matter of, uh, John 17, won't go there, but in John 17, when Jesus is praying, he says this interesting prayer. He says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, just that you would keep them from temptation. I want you to stay in the world. Why? Well, because we've got to reach the world. We've got to reach the world. We can't isolate ourselves and pull ourselves into some Christian little commune, as wonderful as what that feels, as great as what that lifestyle would be. You know, it would feel wonderful for me. But unfortunately, it's not all about me. It's not all about me. There's a world out there dying to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. There are people standing at the door of gymnasiums waiting for somebody to simply have the guts and courage to strike up a conversation. And it doesn't have to be weird. 
It doesn't have to be strange, you know. Um, I heard a statement recently that the church is meant to be supernatural, but unfortunately it's neither super nor natural. Sometimes it's just plain weird. And sometimes those of us that advocate Christ are just plain weird. And I've got no problem with weirdness if God's in it and God's moved. But you know what? Sometimes we are just plain weird. It's a reality. I'm not having to go at anyone. I'm just speaking it as I believe it to be. Sometimes we are weird. Sometimes we don't know how to hold a conversation with a non-church person. We have no idea how to be interesting. Unless you want to talk about, you know, the theology or the cross or, you know. I wouldn't have a clue how to talk about it. I'm not, I'm just, we've got to be interesting people. We've got to be out there engaging with the world and we've got to be uh, uh, letting our light shine among men so they see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. How can they glorify my Father in heaven first if they don't know who my Father is? So I'm not hiding my Christianity. I'm honest about my faith and so on. But there's a world out there that needs to be reached and it's our responsibility. I'm standing here putting my hand up before you saying it's my responsibility personally to take this good news out there. I want all of you to stick your hand in the air as well because it's your responsibility as well to take the good news of Jesus Christ out there to the streets and the alleyways and the people and the communities. Did you know that you have a unique social network that no other human being on planet Earth has? Did you know that? You have a unique social network. There's a group of friends, family members, work colleagues, social um, you know, people. There's a unique group, a code of human beings enmeshed in your world that is absolutely 100% unique to you. Nobody else has that exact same DNA network of relationships. And, and with each individual, you have that certain depth of relationships. Some you know more and some... But it's all there. It's enmeshed. There's this thing that you have that is so incredibly unique. Nobody else in the world has that exact group of network of relationships and depth of, as you have. Nobody. And you've got it for a reason. You're there smack bang in the middle of this spider web for a reason. And one of the primary reasons we are there is to allow God to use us the right time to share the good news of Christ with people. Now let me let me take a bit of pressure off you here, right? I taught for years on evangelism. It was my job to go on into um, different organisations and, and churches and I would stand up and I would have 20-something hours of evangelism material to teach on and we'd go through And then I would take them out on the streets and we would get out in the streets and we would do evangelism. And it was back in the day when you just walk up cold turkey. How are you going? My name's Alan. Do you want to hear about Jesus? It was just that sort of right in your face stuff. We'd get, uh, people would get smacked in the mouth and we'd get criticized. But you know what? We we'd also saw people come to Christ. We also saw people get healed. We saw a lot of rejection, a lot of different things. But I, I did this for years and years and years. And then all of a sudden I found myself running some of these training skills. And I was running an evangelism school, six months of intense evangelism training. All we did was, and I hate the word evangelism, by the way, it's like dropping an F-bomb in church, isn't it? When I say evangelism, everyone's like, what? You don't say the E-word. It's not that frightening. It is unfortunate, though. You know the word evangelism isn't even in the Bible. It's not even in the Bible. So we'll drop it and we'll call it mission. Let's say that. Let's call it mission. Okay? So I used to run these schools, and here's what I noticed. When I would take groups of people out on the street, because when I first did my first bit of evangelism training, this is how it went for me. I went out there and I'd only just got saved. I was six months old in the Lord. So I went out there on the street and all these kids that I, that, that I did this training, they were all brought up in the church. I was 19, 
before I got saved. And they were all brought up in church. They were nice people and had it all together and, oh, they'd be sick. They knew everything to say, every answer. They knew the scriptures, all this stuff. And I just didn't know anything other than I was 19, lost kid that had no faith, was not brought up in the church, knew nothing about God whatsoever. I had this encounter with God. My eyes were opened up and I realised, wow, Jesus, you really died for me on that cross. You love me. Your grace is sufficient for me. You'll accept me as I am, what's and all. I don't have to be clean. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to know this book. I don't have to pray. I don't have to be going. You love me and you'll accept me if I'll come to you. That's all I sort of knew, you know. But I remember being out on the street the first night. And I'm walking around and I'm watching all these sick little church kids that are, you know, sitting down and these two are over here with their Bible open with a stranger sharing Jesus. And I'm, yeah. I'd go over here and here's this girl with her arms around another stranger. She's praying for her and she's sobbing. It's like, oh, whatever. You know? And all it really did was got me frustrated and frustrated and frustrated. I walked around all night. I, I went through this for about three months, just unable to, and the more I tried to make myself talk to a person, the more I tried to go, I have to do this, the more the pressure would build up. The pressure would build up and, and I would get down on myself and angry at myself and so on. So cut to a few years later, all of a sudden I find myself running these training skills. And so what I did was I, I got my staff together and I said, well, I'm going to try something a bit different. <laughs> Instead of making people go out on a Friday night in the Queen Street Mall in Brisbane and have to walk around telling people about Jesus, I'm going to tell them it's been a big week. Let's all get in the bus. We had a 27-seater bus. Let's get in the bus. We're going into the city, and here's what I want you to do. Go and walk around and just look at the shops. Go to Macca's and get a cheeseburger. Go to Sanity and listen to some Do whatever it is that chills you out. And if you want to go and talk to people about Jesus, that's fine. You go your hardest. But if you don't, you know, don't want to, no pressure, no dramas, don't worry about it. And so what would happen is the first week we went in there and, and, and I think we had about 16 people, two of them were, you know, there's always a couple of really gun ho ones and the two gun ho ones went out there and they started telling all these people about Christ. They got back in the, in the van and we're sitting in the van and we're driving home and so I'd strategically ask the question, so anyone have any good conversations tonight? And somebody would pipe up, yeah, I did tonight. I, yeah, I did this and I chatted with this person. I went out and asked this person, could I share with them about Jesus? They said yes and so on. And the other ears would perk up because people would realise, they go, oh, you're just like me. There's actually nothing special about you. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're just another person like me. But, but somebody actually wanted to hear about Jesus. Somebody actually was open to you saying, can I tell you about Christ? Somebody was actually open to you outside the walls of the church. Someone was open to you when you said, can I pray for you? Yeah? Jesus said 2,000 years ago, the harvest isn't the problem. The harvest ain't the problem. It's plentiful. What's the problem? The labourers are few. The labourers are few. The harvest is not the problem. There are people in our community that don't go to church, that in the right environment, at the right time, being approached the right way by the right person, would gladly talk about spiritual things. Would gladly say, yeah, no worries, you can pray for me. Maybe they might say, look, not now, not here, in this, but, but, you know, yeah. But when you get home, go for it. Still a prayer. They still know you're praying for them. They still know who you're praying to. The point is there are people out there that are receptive. There are people in our community who would be more than receptive. The problem is not the harvest field. The harvest is plentiful. The labourers, those people that see themselves as workers, those who embrace 
the fact that we have a mission. Those who embrace the fact that we have, and I hate using this word, but I'm going to use it, a responsibility. And the church has a responsibility to get the good news of Christ out there. Nobody else will do it. Nobody. Nobody. But you know what I've found? When we feel pressured that we have to do it, we don't want to do it. There's nowhere in this Bible where I see Jesus or Paul or anyone guilting the church into sharing their faith. We can't be guilted into sharing our faith. The early church weren't guilted into it. As a matter of fact, they had fear come against them to try to shut them up. And fear of death wasn't enough to shut them up. I don't think guilt was motivating them. Because if I was being motivated by guilt and you said you'd kill me if I told you, I reckon my guilt would dissipate pretty quick. I would no longer feel guilty. I think the fear would override the guilt in a hurry. But these guys went out there and they preached the gospel. So when I read these stories about the early church, I think, well, how did they approach mission? What was it? What was it about them that made this such a part of their life? What was it about them that made this such a natural thing? Because that's what it should be. It should be natural for you and me to share our love for God. You ever get in a conversation with somebody and then when the time comes and you're going to start to talk about Jesus, and everything inside you gurgles and bubbles around and it just feels like, ooh, it's that time. The guts start going, the acid's rolling around and you just feel uncomfortable and nervous. Why? Why should we feel like that? There's something wrong with the way we see it. There's something different about the way we approach it than the way the early church approached it. I remember one time... Uh, going into Fortitude Valley, just in my car one lunchtime, I was going in to, to, uh, with a couple of guys who wanted to go in and, 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 and share some, uh, you know, share with some people in the streets. So I said, jump in my car, I'll take you in there. So we went into Fortitude Valley. There was a girl at the, um, the, the, the training centre where I was, and she'd had a really hard week. She'd had some bad news from home. She was uh, emotional wreck. So I said to her, jump in the car and come with me, not to talk to anyone, just, again, just get away from... Get some fresh air, I mean, as if there's fresh air in Fortitude Valley, but, you know, you know what I'm saying. Um, get off the base, grab yourself a coffee, walk around and so on, you know. Wasn't, what was amazing was when we finished our time and they were coming home in the car, she's all excited when she gets back in the car. I said, but what happened? What happened? She said, well, you know what happened? She said, I, I went in there, of course, you know, feeling bad about myself and my situation. She said, I'm walking along the streets. So I looked in a shop window. And in the reflection of that shop window, she said, I saw a a young um, Aboriginal girl sitting on a park bench. And she said, I don't know what it was. I don't know what, all of a sudden, I just felt compelled. There was something in me that just said, you need to go and sit down next to this girl. That's all. She said, I don't know what it was. I know what it was. You know what it was. It was the Holy Spirit. I need to go and sit next to this girl. So she turned around and she said, I sat down next to this young girl. And she said, before you know it, I've got my arm around her. I'm praying for her. Snot's flying everywhere. It's all happening. God's moving. This girl's giving her heart to the Lord. You know, and, and it just happened. She said it was amazing. And, and this is how God operates. It's not a guilt-based thing. We need to be open to God and listening to the Holy Spirit and just simply responding to his promptings. That's what mission really is. It's really about listening to God listening to his promptings and responding when God speaks to us. When we try to pressure ourselves or pressure each other or guilt ourselves into sharing, it doesn't work. 
It's point. You don't have to guilt me into sharing something good in my life. I remember as a young kid, my dad, uh, he, we, we didn't have a lot of money when we were growing up. So uh, we lived in a, a community in the western suburbs of Sydney where it was all low-income earners and housing commission and stuff. And, and my dad one day came up with this brilliant idea. He got these old bits and pieces of old rubbish bicycles and he decided he was going to put this bike together and he was going to make this uh, a fantastic bike for his son. So he got every individual part and he polished it up with toothbrushes and sanded it back and, and rust-coated it and painted And in the end, I had this fantastic sky blue push bike. I was one of the only kids in the street to have a push bike. And Dad took months and months to put this together. But what I remember about it was my dad standing in his car with his um, little little electric pump connected to the batteries of the car and he's pumping up the tyres. I was so excited about this bicycle. I ran around the street. I told every single kid in my street, come down and see my bike. Come and see the bike my dad made for me. Quick, come and see my bike. Everybody, come on down. And all these kids came flooding out of everywhere. And by the time my dad had pumped up the, the second wheel on the car, there would have been 20 kids all crowded around my car. I was so excited about that. I said to them, no, you have a ride. No, you... And all these other kids got to ride. By the time the rest of the street finished riding the bike, Dad had to basically pull it apart and remake another bike for me. It was that worn out. But I was so excited about this bike, I couldn't help but share this bike with all these mates that I had in the street. I couldn't wait to share this bike, to share this experience, to let them know I've got a new bike. It was all about the passion I had for this thing. How much more? Have I got to share with the community now, with my friends, with my family, when I talk about and think about what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross? How much more excited should I be about that? How much more motivated should I be to want to share that with people? How much more natural should it be? I didn't think about sharing about the bike. I didn't even, it wasn't like I made a conscious decision, what should I do next? Um, I think I'll tell everyone I've got a bike. It just came out of me. It was just there. And I just wanted to tell everybody about this bike I had. And my prayer to God is, Lord, bring me back to that initial moment when I first met you, when I first gave my heart to you, before I knew that maybe only the professionals should preach the gospel, before I knew that you shouldn't say nothing until you know how to answer every question. Take me back to that time before I knew that what if God doesn't heal that person. Take me back to that moment. When I met you, I was so excited about you, I knew nothing but you have changed my life and you are with me. And I had that passion to go out there and to communicate. I didn't feel guilty, I didn't feel weird, I didn't feel strange. It was so natural. Matter of fact, everybody around me felt weird. Not because I made them feel weird, but they just couldn't understand what had happened. I remember I was playing uh, under-19s rugby union for Ballina at the time (laughs) and uh, I was uh, playing in the Senate and... uh, I remember that one night I got saved and, 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 and we, 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 I just got saved that week and we used to go out to uh, one of the taverns downtown every Saturday after playing and so we'd finished playing and we all went back to this tavern and I'm sitting there and the coach and the captain of the side walk up to me and they're standing behind me while I'm chatting to someone else and I could tell it was one of those awkward moments, you want to say something to me, don't you, but you, you know... So in the end, I turned around to them and I said, what? what do you? And they said, look, we've heard, Alan, that you're kind of doing this Jesus thing now. Is that right? And I said, well, I don't know how, what else you call it. I don't have a church background, so I guess you just call it a Jesus thing. I said, yeah, I am. I'm doing the Jesus thing. And they looked at me with fear in their eyes and their lips are quivering and all they could think to say to me was, well, 
does that mean you're still going to be able to tackle hard? As soon as I told them, yeah, that's fine, they went, oh, phew, that's fine. And we got on with the rest of the night. Their big concern was, can I still tackle somebody when I walk out on the field? You know? Once that was answered, oh, no worries, do the Jesus thing all you want. People got all kinds of weird misconceptions out there of what it means to be associated with Christ. All kinds of weird ideas out there. We are called to be involved in our communities, involved in society, involved with people. To be a light, to take that message, to be prepared, to have the guts, the courage, the conviction that at the right time, when God prompts us to open our mouth and to say, this is why. To open our mouth and say, can I pray for you? To open our mouth and say, did you know I was in that situation once? Let me tell you how I dealt with it. To be in that situation where we are an instrument for God to use. This is how the early church took the world by storm. Just really quickly as we close, just three things. Three things that I think describe the way the early church approached their mission to take the good news to the world. The first thing is they approached it with purpose. And we talked about this last week. They knew they had a purpose. They knew it wasn't, oh, wow, now I'm saved, it's all about me. I'm going to go to church, I'm going to pray, I'm going to tithe, I'm going to read a Bible, and then I'll fulfill my spiritual duty to the Lord. They understood from day one, we are here for a purpose. We have a mission. We have something unique to us. We have something that God uh, wants us to do. We all have individual calls and purposes, but there's an overriding mission statement that's written right above the church universally, and that is go into all the world and preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus did all these wonderful signs and miracles and fed people and clothed, and all of these things were pointing to something. What were they doing? They were signs because signs point to something bigger than themselves. It's not enough just to do all the things and all the social works and meet the needs if we're not using those as opportunities to point people to the real point, which is the cross. The cross will change their life. Amen? The cross has the power to change your life when you submit to it. It's changed mine, it's changed yours, it could change anybody's. I'm sure if we went around this room right now and talked about the stories and the backgrounds of some of you people, some of our toes would probably curl. Knowing what you've done and where you've come from. But it doesn't make a difference to God. If he could take Saul and turn him into Paul, he can save anybody. The early church understood that. They approached mission with purpose. The second thing is they approached it with passion. They approached it with passion. They were passionate about it. They had to be passionate about it. Otherwise, they would have gone underground when people started getting killed. You don't carry on. You want to kill passion? Put pressure on someone. Put a bit of pressure on someone and see whether that passion's coming from within or is it all just external zeal. I've seen many, many people in my involvement in evangelism uh, and missions. Many people talk a big gun-ho talk about how they love God and they'll do it and da 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 And as soon as they get confronted with somebody that wants to reject them or challenge their message, they run them off. All talk, a little bit like, you know, I think before Peter had his massive encounter with God in Matthew 16, Peter was probably a bit like that. Even after that, Peter was like that. I'll die for you, Jesus. You can talk a big game. When the rubber meets the road, is it real? Is it real? The early church approached their mission with passion. They were passionate to get this message out there into all the world. Thirdly, they approached it without pressure. They weren't pressured. There's nothing in this book that tells me they were pressured to carry the good news into the world. 
There was something inside of them that just wanted to do it. There was something inside of them that just wanted everybody to know about this God that they were following. And here's what I believe. If we get the purpose right, we understand our primary mission. If we go out with passion, because we understand what he's done for us. And if we take the pressure away, and we can understand what he is doing, because he's doing fantastic things. If we can begin to do that in our own world, in our own church, we can start to become an answer to the problem and not be a generation that contributes to it, but a generation that pushes through, puts the handbrake on and goes, you know what, we're not going to keep heading in this direction because it's not helping the cause. It's not helping the cause. We've got to redirect our focus. We've got to redirect ourselves. I'll just get you guys to come back. I want to finish up with that. Here I am to worship again if we can. You know, you'll be amazed at the opportunities that God will give you personally if you will make those adjustments. You'll be amazed at the opportunities that God will open up for you. It's not about you trying to make things happen. But I believe when God looks down from heaven and he sees people like that, when he sees people with that attitude, with that heart, they're the people that he taps on the shoulder and goes, you know, I've got a mission in this room right now. I need to pass a message on to this person and I know you'll do it. So here it is. There's a person over here and they're sick and they don't know me. And I know that if I can heal them, they'll open up their heart and they'll listen to what you have to say. And I'm looking around going, who will, you know what, I'm going to tell because I know you're the one that'll do it. The other 95 might not, but you will. So you're the one I'm going to tap on the shoulder. You're the one I'm going to lead. When we begin to readjust the way we do our Christian life, the way we see our faith, when we begin to readjust ourselves in terms of the mission of God, when we begin to see our place in that, change those things that need to be changed, they're the people. You ever wonder at those people, you know? You, you hear those people and you get around them and they're all, it's like, they, they sort of make it sound like they're hearing from God all the time. Every time I get on a bus, God's telling me something about somebody. You know what? He possibly is with a lot of these people. You know why? They might be a bit loopy, and a bit swirly, and a bit weird, a bit spiro or whatever. But if their heart is in that right place in terms of mission, if they see themselves as a labourer in a harvest field, waiting for an instruction. I love uh, in Isaiah... Isaiah chapter 6, we all know this. Off the top of your head. It says this. Then one of the seraphim, one of the angels flew to me, to Isaiah, having in his hand a live coal, which he taken with the tongs from the order. He touched my mouth with it and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Now watch verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Isaiah was eavesdropping on somebody else's conversation. God wasn't talking to him. He just overheard the Lord. He's eavesdropping on what God's talking about up there with his mates. God says, man, I've got this need down there. I want to do something. Who can I send? Oh, I heard that. I heard that. Yeah, pick me. Pick me. Here's a man who sees himself as a labourer. Listening out for the instruction, listening out, okay, what needs to be done? Because you know what? I'm your man, God, I'll do it. I'll do it. If you say nothing, well, I'll do nothing. 
You say something, I'll do something. We need to be like that. My prayer for each of us as a church, and I've said this a thousand times and I will probably say it a hundred thousand times more, I don't want to be just a religious group of people that get together. I'm sick of it. I know many of your journeys, many of you are sick of it. I don't have enough time in my week to just play church. I don't have enough time in my life, spare time in my life, just to have another spiritual gathering. I want to see God move. I want to see people come to faith in Christ, and I know you do too. I want to see the dead raised. I want to see the blind eyes open. I want to see the deaf ears open. I want to see the brokenhearted healed. Because that's what God wants to see. Amen. Father, we just thank you this morning, Lord, that we are privileged to be a part, God, of, of your purpose and of your mission, God. And Lord, I just pray for each of us in this room, Lord. God, we know that, uh, Father, we are not going to be motivated by guilt. We're not going to be controlled by fear. Our heart's desire, Lord, is to be led by the Spirit, to listen to what you're saying and to respond to you, God. Father, to be the church the way that you see the church, to be that church that took over the world, to be that church that even the fear of death could not silence it because of the passion and the conviction that they had. That's our prayer. And I pray this morning for each of us in this room for boldness. I pray for a spirit of boldness, Lord Jesus, to preach the good news in whichever way, shape or form that you lead us at the time. Let our ears be open to the leading of your spirit. Let our eyes be open to what you're doing and let us partner with you. And God, I look forward in the weeks to come of hearing more and more testimonies, Lord, of how you have led us, how you've spoken to us, God, how we partnered with you and we've seen the miracles, we've seen things take place. I pray all this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's all stand and worship together.